You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. This is our sermon series, Recalibrate. This series explores the intentional formation of disciples and how we as a church can help our congregation change and grow. So yeah, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. 2 Timothy, so uh, Timothy's a little bitty letter that Paul wrote to uh, his kind of person he discipled named Timothy. And so if you get to 1 Timothy, keep going right. Amen. Second Timothy is right after that. Uh, if you get to Titus, it's, it's all in there. It's the second half of the New Testament. So if you're just joining us, uh, we're at the end of a, um, or the first time you're just joining us, uh, we're at the end of a series that we've called Recalibrate. And the heart of this series uh, is more just around just kind of answering the question that we've been talking about over the last several months uh, and that is this, is our kind of the way we've been doing church over the last 10 years or our, kind of our model of how we've done church, this kind of idea of scattered and, and gathered, which is kind of the model we've had come gather on a Sunday morning, remind ourselves, rehearse the gospel, and then scatter into homes uh, in the community and, and do life together and try our, our best to apply what we heard on Sunday. And, and so we've just been asked the question, is this model that we've been doing over the last 10 years making disciples? And so hopefully you felt over the, uh, at least the last two Sundays, that it's not a hard no. It's not like, you know, there's not been any work that God's done here and there's not, there's not value in this kind of model that we've stepped into, have done over the last 10 years. So hopefully you haven't heard that because, the, you know, the title of the series is not, you know, replant or restart, right? It's not like we're blowing everything up because it's been stinky for 10 years. Uh, no, it's like a recalibrate. It's, it's a, a shift, kind of a, a little subtle change maybe. And so if you were with us last week, you, you kind of heard kind of a subtle shift in how we're doing community groups. And, and if you went to a community group this week, your, your experience may have not been any different, right? You may have gone in there and experienced the two and a half hours you guys were together, or whatever you do, an hour, two hours, and maybe you walked away from that going, all right, Zach did this big message and I don't know, kind of feels like it did two years ago. So what, well, your experience isn't supposed to change. What we let you in on last week was more behind the scenes. So there is a philosophical shift that's happening within community group life that you may not experience on a, on a week to week basis. And we're not necessarily changing a ton of what's going on the experience reality of community groups, but there is a shift in the way we view it and what we're valuing in community groups. I think Zach kind of showed you this slide last week, but the way that we can kind of help you understand what's going on behind the scenes, all of a sudden the relational value, your belonging is large within community groups. It's not that we're not doing learning where there's learning about who God is and, and who we are and, and working through the Bible at times. It's not that we're not doing mission anymore and thinking about those that are outside of Christ and how we can serve and love and care for them. Those things are still happening within community groups, but the large value is relationships. And that has not been the case in the last 10 years. All of these had equal value. And so now this will kind of help make some decisions or have a, a larger weight in decisions like open groups versus closed groups. Whereas if you've been with us very long, we never have done closed groups. But now if the value is relationships and your connection and belonging, that's the lens by which we're making this decision, then we can kind of make an argument where there may be a need for closed groups for a couple years where 
a group of people can go pretty deep relationally. Before, um, we probably wouldn't allowed you to start your group until you had a home within your neighborhood because mission was an equal value that we wanted to be in neighborhoods. And we wanna make sure that, you know, we're not doing affinity groups. We're encouraging you to go to a group that's close to where you live. And that is still a value of ours. And we're gonna still do that. But what's the greater value? The greater value is relationships. The greater value is your connection and your belonging. And so there may need to be a season where you meet at the church and it's okay. Maybe not long-term, but maybe short-term. Why? Because the relational value carries a lot more weight now. That's the shift. I mean, it's, it's not like a, a blow-up community groups. We're starting from scratch. It's just like, hey, we're making a subtle shift here. And you may not experience any of that. It's more behind the scenes, a philosophical approach that's informing how we're doing community groups. And so what I want to do this morning, and um, yeah, just to set you up, this may be a little heavy. Maybe, I don't know. Um, it's a little heavy in the nine, so I'm just kind of guessing maybe a little heavy in the 11. So I like to warn people, maybe a little heavy. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the learning value within our community, specifically learning the Bible together. And so to that end, uh, let's stand together in honor of reading God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses uh, 14 through 17, with us focusing this morning on just two verses, and that is verses 16 and 17. So hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy here, continue in what you have learned, firmly believed, you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are, are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask once again that you would do your kind work and speak to us and open up our eyes to help us see the beautiful things that are in your word. We ask the Holy Spirit to encourage, to convict, to challenge, do whatever needs to be done in our hearts, in our lives this morning. And Father, I know many of us are coming in here knowing specific people who are... Um, battling for their life uh, with this virus that's still going on within our world. And we just pray for uh, individuals like Charlie Russell, Bob Russell's son, God, please bring healing to his body. Please, God. And I know I can name several other people up here this morning, God. And so, Lord, um, we ask that you would bring an end to this, that those who are suffering in the hospital, that you would heal their bodies. God, you would help the medical professionals that are the nurses and the doctors and the, all those that are involved in this, God, give them physical and mental strength during a time like this, Father. And Lord, help us as a body as we continue to pray and seek wisdom of how we can continue to gather in a safe way, not just for us, but for the good of our community, Lord. 
And so please, Lord, help us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I know this may be a kind of a weird way to start off the sermon, but it's okay. We're going to jump into it. Um, one of the things that I'm um, thankful for over the last 10 years in this church is we've, we've just been a place where we have a lot of guests and visitors that show up at our church on a consistent basis. And I, I don't take that for granted. I think it's a gift and I'm very thankful for it. And so we, there's a lot that we do intentionally to make sure those that come to church for the very first time here feel as best we can at home and feel like they know kind of what's going on. But the reality is this, is that it's still really awkward and hard. And so the question I have for you is, how do you know when someone's a, a visitor or a guest or that this is their first time that they've come to our church? If we were in a group small enough, I'd want to love to hear your answers and thoughts on this, but we're not in a group small enough and I have a window of time, right? And there's children we got to get taken care of. And so uh, here are a few ways that I notice um, and when I know someone is first timer. So there's usually a lost look a little bit on, in their eyes and their face. They, they kind of don't know where to go to drop their kids off. They don't know where necessarily the auditorium is. And so there's just like this little clueless look. And our connections team does a fantastic job of pointing them out, right? And, and going after them. And so please hear me. If you're a first timer, I wasn't necessarily looking at you. If that was your facial expressions, it's okay. Uh, you're welcomed here. And hopefully someone on our team helped you find where you're supposed to be right now. Uh, another one that I've noticed over 10 years is sometimes they'll show up dressed up. They'll show up in a dress or in a tie and sometimes kind of feel bad. It's like they show up and it's, wow, this is way more casual than I thought. And I feel a little awkward right now, but I don't have a change of clothes, right? It's like, this is what I got to go with. Uh, another way I, I see it is that uh, we've kind of made some changes in this over the last few months, but if you've been with us for a while, our benediction can be a little awkward for a while, right? If you're a first-timer and you're asked to do this, I don't know, in the 40s, it didn't work out real well, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing right now when I'm doing this. So, And you'll notice if you're someone's new, they'll just keep their hands in their pocket or They'll sort of do this, like, all right, I don't want to be left out. Maybe there's some kind of special thing I'm getting if I do this, right? So I'm going to be in clue. It's kind of why we, we've changed it to kind of open hands receiving. Another way um, that you can tell someone's a guest or their first time here, especially if they're coming from another church, is they bring their Bibles And for some of you, you don't know what to do with that. Some of you are here and brought your Bibles, and you're like, oh, yeah, very proud of that. I'm glad I brought my Bibles because Lyle's making a mention of that right now. And some of you are here and you didn't. I don't know. Um, maybe over the last 10 years, I have unintentionally taught you not to bring your Bibles to church. I don't know. It may not be a great book to write. How to be a pastor and teach your congregation how not to bring their Bibles to church. So please hear me. I know there's all kinds of like um, rebuttals to this. And I know there probably are little inner lawyers going off. It's not about bringing our Bibles to church, blah, 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 blah. We used to do that. And I, I hear that, and this is not a sermon that has at its end goal to make sure everybody brings their Bible to church. I'm just trying to make an observation 
of what I've seen in the life of our church of the last 10 years. And I'm making this observation, honestly, to say, like, I don't know exactly what to do with it other than to make that observation and to maybe, maybe say that it might be pointing to a, a deeper issue that's going on in our lives. Here's what we do know. And not only does research show this, I mean, I think if you would just pay attention to what's going on in our culture, um, we as Christians, and I'm not just talking about culture Christians, I'm talking about people that are in church probably week in and week out. We can see this from data, are being more shaped by social media than our Bibles. On any given day, a Christian in the United States is twice as likely to open Facebook as they would their very own Bibles. You may have saw this. Uh, I watched a, a video a few weeks ago of this wasn't in our community or even in our state where a board of education made the decision uh, to require wearing masks for their public schools. And there were a, a large group of protesters that were outside of the board of education, um, obviously not very happy with this ruling. And the article that I read wasn't necessarily saying it's wrong to protest or whatever. It wasn't anything about that. And I'm not trying to say that either. But what the article was trying to say, and I guess he knew people within this community, he was just asking those people who call themselves Christ followers and Christians, a handful, maybe even larger number in this group who would show up at church every single Sunday, whose character and behavior look nothing like Jesus. And he wasn't offering necessarily any solutions. He was just kind of like, why? Why are we so angry? Jeremiah, the prophet, writing in a very dark time and then to the people of God, uh, said this, and maybe, maybe this is, What's going on with us, maybe, where God says this in verse 22 of chapter four, and this is God speaking here, for my people are fools. Why? They don't know me. They're foolish children without understanding. They're skilled in doing what is evil, but they do not know how to do what is good. How do we know who God is? How do we know what kind of behavior and living is in line with what Jesus would desire out of his people? How do, or what, not just how, better question is what is informing you on how to see, see this world? What is informing you on how to see God? What is informing you and shaping you on how you see yourself? And look, I, I don't think any of us in this room are, are thinking we're like 
There's, there's nothing in my life that's shaping and forming me like that we're some kind of neutral, you know, blank slates all the time we wake up in the mornings. Hopefully all of us would, would agree with the statement that something is shaping us. Something is forming us. Something is informing how we see, how we understand who God is, how we understand what we are and how we're to live in this world. Something is shaping and forming that. And what I want to put before you this morning is just like, can we just stop and think about what that is? Without shutting down, dismissing, bringing all the defensive, just for a second, may we have kind of an open-handed posture and think and say and actually articulate maybe something other than the very word of God as a follower of Jesus Christ is having more power in shaping who I am and how I see. I mean, look what Paul says here about the Bible in these two verses. I mean, they're foundational verses for us and foundational verses for any follower of Jesus Christ. And these two verses of 16 and 17, they're kind of three observations I want to make real quick, three truths that Paul speaks about the Bible. The first one is this. This book, the Bible, is absolutely like no other book, period. Or maybe it's an explanation point, right? This book, the Bible, is like no other book. And yes, there have been a lot of great books that have been written in history. Here are a few. These are not the exhaustive list. I think the Harry Potter series is a great piece of literature. Yes, if you've never read the Harry Potter series, I would say read the Harry Potter series. It will not make you worship the devil. It's a good piece of writing. I think the Narnia series is really good. I think the Lord of the Rings movies are really good and the books are good and they're a great piece of literature, but man, they're difficult to get through. Amen? Okay, maybe not. Maybe that's just my ignorance. I think Moby Dook, uh, Tale of Two Cities, these are all wonderful pieces of literature and books. Yes, but they are nothing like the Bible. They're not. I mean, look what he says here in verse 16. All Scripture. So Genesis to Revelation. All Scripture, including Leviticus. Right? That wonderful book that all of us skip over when we're reading through our Bibles. Even Numbers, where half the book's about numbers. Like, goodness gracious. But all Scripture, all of it. What is it, Lyle? What is Paul saying here? Is inspired by God. Some of you have a translation where it says God breathed or breathed out by God. Literally, it means this, exhaled by God. So it does not mean this. It does not mean that God didn't use human authors. It doesn't mean that when the, when the scriptures were inspired that he didn't use a, their, their gifts, their abilities, their creativity, their, their mind, the way that they're shaped and, and their, their temperamental wiring to to write the text here. He used all of that. It's not like, um, I don't know, I'm showing my age here, but I'm okay with it. Anybody guys ever watched that show, Heroes, ever watched that? You know what I'm talking about? Came out in the 90s? Is that right? Am I? No. Sometime. It was a while back, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Okay, if you haven't, just go home and Google it. All right, there it is. There's, a, there's one, it's about all these normal people that have all these superhero powers. There's one guy that would go into this like weird trance. I don't know if you remember this. And his eyes would get all milky and glossy. And then he, he would paint the future. And then he'd step back and go, oh my gosh, I don't know what I did here, but I painted the future. That's not how the Bible was written, right? He didn't put Matthew in a trance and I don't know what came out. No, no, he, he used their gifts, their wiring, their, 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 their capabilities in order to write the scripture. What this phrase helps us see is that God is the ultimate primary author of this book. In fact, it is the breath of God. It is breathed out by God. It originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by his very breath. That's why when we gather every single Sunday and we stand to hear the word of the Lord, what do we say after, it, after I read it? What do I say every week? This is what? This is not a trick question, guys. All right. This is what? Yeah, absolutely true. But I say, this is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. And it's not because, oh, wow, we have figured out how to be kind of cool and sort of in. And if you really want to be in the right church and the biblical church, you've got to say this. This is the word of the Lord. No, I don't do it because of that. I do it to remind me and remind you that what we just read is God speaking. I mean, many of us, like, I don't know what your story's like, but many of us say, man, I, I just, maybe you came in this morning going, I just need a word from the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I want to tell you. You got it. When we stood up and read 2 Timothy 3, verses 6, 14 through 17, that is God speaking to you directly. Well, I want to hear the audible voice of God. If I can just hear God speak audibly, then I will believe, I'd be settled, have peace, whatever it is. Guess what? Guess what? You just heard the audible voice of God because we just got done reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 out loud. One commentator says it like this. The scriptures are not a pre-existing body of human literature into which God breathed something divine, but rather they owe their very existence to the out-breathing of God's spirit. Apart from God's out-breathing in time and space through specific human authors, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures would not exist. It is the scriptures, not the writers of the scriptures, which are inspired. This book is like no other book you have ever read because every time you open this book, God is speaking to you. To you. And just sit with that. As he's holding everything together, right? By the word of his mouth, keeping everything going. Not with a ton of anxiety and freaking out. He's just keeping it all going. He wants to speak to you. And this is how he's doing it. This book 
is like no other book. Secondly, look what Paul says here also in the second half of verse 16. The, this book, the Bible, is the, capital T-H-E, the guide for our lives on what to believe and how to live. It is the God, not an a, a God, not an optional God, not like one God amongst many. It is the, capital T-H-E, guide for our lives. Yes, I realize that there's more that the Bible does for us. And I would put before you that the primary means for the Bible is to give us a revelation of who God is. It's God's self-revealing word of who he is that's, that's seen specifically in Jesus Christ. So the, the Bible is about Jesus. He's the central figure. It's not about you and me. It's primarily about Jesus. And at the same time, it's also a guide. If you grew up in church, you probably memorized this verse. Psalm 119, right? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. And the reason why I put four in parentheses is because I memorized it with four. And the CSB kind of messed me up with on. All right, same idea here, right? But the Lord is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path or for my path. And it's a, it's a, it's a guide, isn't it? In, a, in an age where... I mean, there's so many words that we can kind of describe our age right there, but one of them that comes to my mind is confusion. In a time when, man, we, even as followers of Jesus Christ, feel so confused. And like, all I'm saying is like, man, can you give me some clarity? This book, this book, this precious gift of the Bible is the guy. Look what he says here, verse 16, second half of it. And the, the, all scripture is profitable, not profitable, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, helpful, useful. Look what he says here, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So how, Paul, how is the word of God helpful for us? It's helpful in what we believe and in how we are to live. These are two pairs that need to go together, teaching, rebuking. That's all about doctrine and creed, what we're to believe for correcting and for training. That's all about living, how you're supposed to live these behaviors out. What's the, what is the fruit of the spirit? What's this lived out expression of the word of God, the words of Jesus? And so first, look at the first pair, teaching and rebuking. This talks about our doctrine, our beliefs. The word of God is profitable to teach you what is true about God and what is not. How we're to think about God and how we're not to think about God. What is true about me as a human being, as a male made in the image of God? How am I to know that? What am I supposed to find that? Where's the, where's the truth, the, the doctrinal creed that teaches me about humanity? Well, that's the Bible. It's a, it's a guide for us. And the blunt reality is that all of our sophistication and learning and self-study, we don't know enough on how to run our lives. Can I get a little amen, right? I know that's hard, right? Or I'll put it personal. Like, I don't, left to myself, I'm a train wreck. Amen? For most of us, what we know about God and his ways by our friends, maybe, by media, by social platforms, and even sometimes stuff that we think up on our own is simply wrong. It may not be dead wrong, but it's wrong enough to mess up the way that we live. And this book, this precious book called the Bible, this revelation from God is revealing to us 
how and what we're supposed to know about who God is, about his world and his ways in this world. Tish Harrison Warren in her little book called Prayer in the Night, and highly recommend this, talks about the, the need for this in our own lives, the need for doctrine. And I know it's a long paragraph, but it's on the screen and you guys can hang with me. Look what she says here. Doctrine is unavoidable. Why is that? When all else gives away, all of us from atheists to monks fall back on what we believe about the world, about ourselves, and about God. That's doctrine. If the question of whether God is real or not, or of whether God is kind or indifferent or a bastard, is determined solely by the balance of joy and sorrow in our own lives or in the world, we will never be able to say anything about who God is and what God is like. The evidence is frankly inconclusive. If the story of my short life and feelings determine God's character, and this is her conclusion, then he is Jekyll and Hyde. This way of approaching God becomes a never-ending game of poker. For every breathtaking splash of a whale's breach, I raise you a forest-fired, obliterating acre after acre. For every monarch migration, I raise you ticks spreading Lyme disease. For every mother enraptured by her child's first smile, there's another mother whose newborn struggles for his final breath. In all of our lives, from the happiest to the most tragic, the circumstantial evidence for God's goodness is divided. There's beauty and then there's horror. That's why she said doctrine is absolutely unavoidable. I have got to have something that is outside of myself that's teaching me the truth about who God is so that when I go through seasons in life and the the, 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 my entire life just falls apart or I go through seasons of a dark night of the soul or I go through seasons of doubt and despair. I've got something that's outside of my circumstances that I can stand on. I need an anchor, right? Because if I'm just looking at my own life and I've only been here 51 years, if I'm just looking at one episode and you guys have heard this, but if I'm looking at one episode of my life where my daughter died, like, guys, I'm just telling you, that's, it's hard to look at that circumstance and say God is a good, loving father. So I've got I've to have something, man. I've got to have something that anchors me, that I can stand on, that says in spite of my circumstances, in spite of burying my daughter, I can say with, with a lot of trim, trembleness and a lot of like still uncertainty, I know that he is good. And I know that he loves me. Why, how do you know that? Because the little song that said, Jesus loves me, this I know. How? How? The Bible tells me so. That's not just for a four-year-old. That's for a 51-year-old man who's trying to hang on. The Bible is a gift. This book is a guide for us. Gives us doctrine, creed for us to know what to believe, 
how to believe it. The second pair there, and I'll just do this real quickly here, is kind of correcting and training. It's talking about conduct and the way that we live. Like, we've got to know, like, how am I to live in this world? And the reality is this, guys, look, look, all of us need, this is not new law. This is not like, you know, here's legalism. No, all of us need a guide that tells me what I need to stop doing and what I need to start doing, right? And it's not just the guide that I need when I, come to faith in Christ as an eight-year-old or a 15 or 16-year-old, you need as an adult person. Like, you're just like, all right, I need, I, need, I need a guide in my life that tells me, all right, look, stop doing this. <laughs> this is not leading to life, not just for you, but even those around you. Stop doing this and start doing this. One of the values that we talk about here and as far as discipleship, and maybe we've never really talked about this, but there are, there are these kind of operating principles that we we kind of operate out of within um, environments. I'm probably really doing a horrible job explaining that, but just moving on. But here's one of those that, that shapes me. I, I believe there are different discipleship needs based upon where people are at in their spiritual journey. I just, I don't think everyone needs the same thing. Depending on where you are in your own spiritual journey, you're gonna, you're gonna have different needs. So, so sometimes some seasons can be marked by more like communion with the Father. Like I don't need a lot of thou shouts right now in my life. I just need to sit with the Father and commune with him and learn from him so that I can better understand who I am. There's seasons you need that. And then there's other seasons in life where you, it's, it's marked by kind of like competency and learning. And those are seasons that I think Paul's kind of getting after here. Like there's ways that you need to learn how to live. So there needs to be the correcting. Stop doing this. And the training. Start doing this. So this book is the guide. And the last thing I see here in verse 17 is this. This book makes you ready. And look what he says here in verse 17. So that the man of God, which you can include women also here. He's, he is specifically talking to Timothy, but the wider application includes both men and women so that the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work. So what is the reason for God to do this supernatural work of breathing out his word is so that you and I would be thoroughly equipped, able to, to meet all the demands for every good work, enabling us to live differently. This phrase may be is written in the present tense, which basically emphasizes this continual adequacy and readiness. It speaks to the abiding state of readiness for God's will. And so one of the ways you can explain this and look at this is like my boys run cross country. They've done it for years. And so uh, if you're not familiar with cross country, it's, it's a, a sport that goes on in the fall and they, 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 they basically have meets every Saturday. And it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great sport, teach discipline, usually a group kid, group, good group of kids that are in this kind of sport. But the reality is, man, that Saturday meet is not enjoyable. It's a 5k, it's like 3.1 miles. And it's a, it's kind of a dead on sprint pretty much. It, it's pretty miserable to watch these wonderful kids do this, especially in the heat right now. It's like, no one's doing this. Oh, this is great. Love it. Love it. No one. I mean, they look 
horrendous. I mean, they do. It's like, and you're cheering for everybody. Not just your kid is like, dude, you are amazing, man. Keep it up. I know you're throwing up right now, but at the end, you'll be happy you did it, right? It's like doing what you can to kind of encourage these guys. But here's the thing, and we all know this. Look, no one shows up to meet on Saturday without doing something in the week, right? There's something called what? Practice. Each day after school, you're spending two hours. You're doing a long run or you're doing short sprints or you're doing some other kind of, and all of that is so that when you show up at the meet on Saturday, you're what? Say it out loud. You're ready. I think in part, that's what Paul's trying to get after when he says that here, to make you ready to do God's will. I've heard people say this before, and I, you know, not just people, me, I've said it. Um, to where, you know, like reading the Bible is hard. I, I give you that, it is. And sometimes it's difficult to understand. And sometimes people's conclusion will be, well, I, I don't get anything out of it. I get up every morning and, you know, I read a chapter out of John or whatever, and I put it down. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get anything out of it. And so usually the conclusion then is like, I'm just done. You know, I tried, I tried that is what I'll hear. I tried that. And I, I empathize with that. Like, I'm with you. Right now I'm in the book of Jeremiah, my morning readings, and just quite frankly, I'm not getting a lot. I'm not. But if, if our framework, and Jen Wilkin talks about this in an illustration she gave, and she's right on, if our framework when we're approaching the Bible is more like a debit account, it's more transactional. So you go to an ATM machine, you know, to get, you're punching your numbers, what you're trying to get something out of, it's more transactional. And so that's, that's that kind of approach. You're looking at the Bible as some kind of debit account that, hey, I'm getting up this morning and if I don't get anything out of it, then I'm done. <laughs> and she's saying, why don't you look at it like a savings account? Each morning, you're putting a deposit. Next morning, putting a deposit. Next morning, you're putting a deposit. And maybe it's 10 years later when, like I said a few minutes ago, you go through a season that's really dark. Maybe it's 10 years later and, I mean, everything you thought was true is like, what in the world? I don't know what's going on here. And the bottom completely drops out of your life. It's in those moments where the Spirit of God will use your deposits to help you get through a really, really hard season. So if we approach it more as a savings account, we trust God will yield a return and his timing because the word of God, this precious book, makes you ready. So this book is like no other book. It is breathed out by God. This book is a the God, not a God, the God for our lives. And this book makes you ready. So in light of that, I offer a couple of observations. The first one is this. The Bible must, not maybe, 
it must be central to any discipleship efforts that we do as a church. The Bible, this book, this God-breathed book must, must be central to any discipleship efforts that we do as a church. As Eugene Peterson said, and I agree with this, without this text, without the Bible firmly established at the authoritative center of our communal and our personal lives, we will flounder. And I'm not trying to give a simplistic, trite answer to what we're observing over these last 12 to 18 months, specifically in Christian communities. But I wonder if this is revealing something about us, right? That we give lip service to the word of God as it's authoritative, like we're supposed to. We give this kind of confessional language toward it, but our actual functionality is far from it. And we're floundering. Second observation. So if the Bible must be central to any of our discipleship efforts, secondly, then therefore Bible studies or us learning our Bibles together must, must be an ongoing rhythm within the life of our church. And I'll say it again. If the Bible is going to be central to any of our discipleship efforts, then therefore Bible studies and learning our Bibles must, must be an ongoing rhythm within the life of our church. And this is where I have gotten it wrong. I have not led us well here. I've made wrong assumptions that's not been helpful within the life of our church that desires to be shaped by the word of God. I have said this before, we don't need more Bible studies because Bible studies is not the problem. What's the problem is that we have an embodiment problem and an application problem. So anybody can go get a Bible study. We've got a plethora of them that go on in the city of Louisville. And you can go online and find all kinds of Bible studies that you can engage in. So obviously Bible studies are not the problem. We have an application problem. And I would put before you that that is still true. But it does not mean that we don't offer Bible studies here on a regular basis. And that's what I failed to do as your leader. I drew out wrong implications of what that means. What we have trained you, whether we've meant to do this or not, but this is what we have trained you to think. And it's got a slide here for it. We've trained you to think this, I must be in a community group and I can be in a Bible study. Because it's not like we haven't offered Bible studies here in 10 years. We have. It's just that they have not had the same value and importance as community groups have had. And that was wrong. That was wrong. What we did here, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it doesn't matter. This is what happened. We led you to prioritize community over learning. And we have learned that this is a mistake. 
Community groups are not indispensable to discipleship. Relationships are, right? And at the same time, Bible studies are not indispensable to discipleship, but learning is. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, yes, we are called into community, into relationships, and into learning And what is important is not that you are participating in a specific ministry, but that you see and realize both the value of being in relationships and the value of being and learning. And we as a church feel convictionally that we need to offer spaces where the value is relationships and spaces where the value is learning. And so we want to make a little shift in your thinking. It's not just about Sunday gathered and groups. And then if you want to do a Bible study, awesome, super duper. That would make you a super Christian. No, what we're saying, yes, it's about gathering each week and hearing the word of God sung, preached, and read and celebrated, whatever you want to say there. We want to get in our lives together, go throughout the homes and spend life together and do this relationship thing together. Yes, we want to be about that. And, and we want to learn our Bibles. They're all equally important. So, some of you may be thinking, is that all you got? (laughs) We do this little series and You guys have been praying for like 12 months, a year, and you're telling me the new thing is Bible studies, (laughs) right? I mean, there was one guy in our nine o'clock that busted out laughing. I was so thankful he did because you're kind of like awkward. What do I do right now? Yeah, you should laugh a little bit because it does feel a little underwhelming. But we have neglected that as a community. And it needs to change. And I'm not saying this either, that Bible studies are now the answer, right? As we have been doing, other churches have been doing that for a long, long time. It's not like, oh, wow, we get Bible studies in it, man, we're going to be knocking it out of the ballpark. Everybody's going to be like amazing Christians flying around here. No, I'm, I'm just saying, man, this has got to be foundational. If I had to put together what discipleship kind of looks like, Here's sort of a formula that I would say, this is all empowered by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ, but it takes knowledge plus formative practices plus imitation plus time equals change and maturity. Knowledge, formative practices, and we're gonna talk more about those in the coming months. Imitation, being around in a small group, there's, there's a place for that being with two to three people and doing life together and time. God's like, look, man, like real change in your life, even though you want it to happen overnight, it just doesn't. Like, yeah, it takes a lot of time. So you should never feel shame that you're still dealing with the same sin that you maybe been dealing with 20 years ago. It just may be coming back in a different way. You thought you had it dealt with. It's like, oh man, I've been killing it. And all of a sudden, like, what? What's, look, man, it just takes time. <laughs> But knowledge is a very important piece. As Jen Wilkin has said, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Others of you may be thinking this, oh, thank you, Lyle, for adding something else to my already busy schedule. 
So now do, not only do I need to come to church on Sundays, not only do I need to be involved in a community group, I also need to now go to Bible studies if I'm gonna really grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that is you saying that, look, there's a part of me wants to like, I wanna bring some encouragement and maybe just a real quick rebuke. I'll do the rebuke first so we can land on the encouragement. Rebuke is this, we make time for what we value. Let that sit with you for a while. Pastoral. Encouragement. Some groups, community groups, are studying together. So they're in lieu of their night of the week, they're doing this together for eight weeks. So it's not adding something. It's just, we're just coming together and we're going to do this together for Bible study. So that's what a lot of groups are doing. Um, we've never said this before, but here's what we're saying for some of you, you, just need to choose one, and that's okay. That's okay. We want to be in community, and we want you to be in relationships, and we want you to learn. But look, here's the reality. You're responsible. For, you're an adult. You're responsible for determining what is best for you in your season of life. What is best for you based on your needs. Maybe you're in a season of life where you said, like, I just need to learn my Bible. Well, go to Bible studies. Don't worry about community groups. <laughs> We're going to do relationships there, right? We will. But just go to Bible studies. It's okay. Or maybe you're in a season where, man, I just need to get to know people better. Well, all right, just go to a community group. That's okay. Like, choose one. So I'll close with this. If you're not doing this already, then I would encourage you to begin to make the Bible a central part of your life. And that can be as simple as, and here we go, I'm not saying you have to do this, just maybe you start bringing your Bible to church. I know we've got phones, I know we've got pads, I know we got, that probably didn't sound great, iPads, whatever, sorry. Uh, I know we got all that, and I, I'm not against technology. I, I get it. But there is something, and maybe I'm just old school. I don't know. You can push back on that. There's just something about having a physical copy, and you're looking at it, maybe marking it up, circling stuff. No one's going to be looking as you walk in. Oh, David didn't bring his Bible. <laughs> not sure if he can serve next week. <laughs> it's not like... Oh, wow, I saw one of our pastors didn't bring their Bible. Well, we got a conversation about, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just, maybe. Maybe you start reading on your own. And if you don't like to read, guess what? We have apps that read it to you. Amen? Streetlights is one of those apps. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. This is more geared toward middle school and high school students. What if you just play that in your little AirPods on the way to school? No one would know. They would just think you're rocking out or whatever. Little do they know you're reading the Bible. Get you some of that, right? I'll put before you that both students and adults, if you would start reading the Bible for the next six weeks, I... I don't want to make promises, but I'm pretty close to making a promise that it will change your disposition. It'll change how you see. 
And then lastly, will you learn your Bible with us? So in two weeks, we're, we're starting, a, a, this will be a regular rhythm in the life of our church as long as I'm your pastor. And so if you get a new guy and they want to do something else, then so be it. You can deal with that. But this is what, what we're doing. Every, every year, we're offering, we're going to do two sessions. So we're going to do a, a fall session, kind of late winter, spring session, eight weeks long. This year, we're studying First Peter in the fall. And so we're going to meet together and women's study and men's study on the same night. Monday nights from 6.30 to 8. We'll have child care available. We'll meet in small tables. And the value here is, yeah, there's going to be relationship building, but we're going to learn First Peter. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to make this a regular rhythm of our church. And so what I'm asking you to do, listen to me. And no, some of you may feel offended by this, and I don't mean for you to feel offended by this, all right? But I'm asking you to study the Bible with us, not just with BSF people. Nothing wrong with BSF. I love Bible study fellowship. They have done a phenomenal job where the church has failed, <laughs> right? But I'm asking you to study with us because part of us being in a community is to learn not just the Bible, but one another and connection and relationships. But will you study the Bible with us? And so you can sign up today. Um, the best way to do that, we've been having some trouble with our website. So the best way to do that this morning is just text studies to this word, uh, number here, this word, <laughs> to that word. Text studies to that number and we can get you signed up uh, for these Bible studies. They start in two weeks. I think they start the Monday following uh, Labor Day. And so I, I pray, I pray we'd have close to 100, 150 people coming to learn the Bible together. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment to just be still, be quiet, to be calm, and listen to what the word of Jesus has to say to us. So the word of God tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And the word of God also tells us that he took a cup of wine like this. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. So each time we gather together and we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we're announcing the death of Christ until he returns. So if you're a Christian here, a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how we do communion. Uh, we ask you to stand up, to go forward. There's four stations in the corners of our room here. And we want to take this kind of as best we can. It's like a family. So it's not just an individual grab and go. It's more of like, hey, get four or five of you around a table and allow the individual that's at that table to say, body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And those are words that we get from the very words of God. And so when you're done, you can take the elements and go back to your seat and take it when you're ready. But if you're not a Christian, then our encouragement for you is not to take these elements. These elements do nothing for you. <laughs> you need Jesus. And we would love to talk to you more about what that means and what that looks like to put your faith and trust in Christ. So church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and go to one of these four stations. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. 
For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.